Hello, Legends. Before we get into the episode, I just want to quickly tell you about a brand new show that I have just released. It's called Crime at Bedtime. And as the name suggests, it's been designed with those in mind who like to go to sleep at night listening to a fascinating true crime story. We'll release a brand new episode every single Monday, but right now there is a stack of episodes for you to binge straight away. So go check it out. It's called Crime at Bedtime. It's available wherever you get your podcasts from. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Prison escapes have been taking place for as long as prisons have been around. In fact, one of the earliest prison escapes on record was back in the 13th century when a Welshman was imprisoned in the famed Tower of London. He would craft a makeshift rope from bedsheets and cloths. Lowered from a window, he'd climb down. One of the world's most famous prison escapes was that of brothers John and Clarence Anglin and Frank Morris, three men who would escape from the world's most secure prison in 1962. The famous Alcatraz. Forbidding Alcatraz prison, from which no man has ever been known to escape, has its name for impregnability at stake. A daring break for freedom by three convicts triggers a manhunt through the caves with which the rock is riddled and throughout the entire San Francisco area. The escape had many elements that would capture the world's interest. The sheer planning alone was quite ingenious. The three men would make dummy heads of themselves, made from plaster and real hair. They'd place them in their bunks so as to fool the guards who would make regular rounds during the evening. They'd escape through vents in the cells, scaling up pipes and out of a ventilator grill on the top of the prison. Then they'd make their way down the building, climbing the prison fence and to the water's edge. The water being the frigidly cold San Francisco Bay. It was then a 1.25 mile or 2 kilometre swim to shore. They'd stolen 50 raincoats in which to construct a raft in order to assist them with the swim. But it's what happened next that is likely the reason this escape has become so famous around the world. Because to this day, no one knows if those men ever made it or not. These three men were the only ones to ever successfully escape from Alcatraz. And David McMillan is still the only Westerner to successfully escape his prison. The infamous Klong Prem Prison, also known as the Bangkok Hilton. Two o'clock's come and I'm still working away on one bar. It might be fine during the day when you can make a bit of noise. My name's Jack Lawrence. 
Welcome to Wanted. I'm a wanderer of the soul Before the end I plan to behold But I know I'll lose myself along the way What's gone is gone What's past is past Let me leave what belongs in the past So in our previous episode, David had just been told by his lawyer that things weren't good. It was all over. He was to be executed in two weeks. At this point, David had been an unwitting guest of the Bangkok Hilton for a couple of years and had spent that time scavenging for things that would be useful to him for his big departure. The one thing he didn't have was hacksaw blades. He could, of course, go to the machine shop within the prison and pay another inmate for the blades. But he says that he would be instantly ratted on and it would be straight to the punishment wing. So instead, he has them delivered. They would let foreigners have care packages. The locals had a few things sent in. They'd cut their soap bars in half, pour their shampoo and whatnot into a newspaper to take it with them, dunk their clothes in buckets of water in case they'd dried out drugs or intoxicants in them or something, I don't know what. But anyway, just to... Make the point, you can't have anything. But foreigners, well, they're not going to be bringing drugs in from foreign countries. Foreign countries are just rich people in streets of gold. They don't, they don't do all of that. But I was a bit worried about hacksaw blades coming in, so I gave Michael a little task to do. It, in the care package, there'd be clothing, there'd be food, there'd tins of stuff, the whole works. Um, artist materials, all, all sorts of stuff. But... One thing that did kind of mean something to them was religious sensibility. So Michael drew up a, a, a scroll, like a near on a parchment. What was written on it? Go placidly amid the noise and haste. Do you probably remember the opening line? It was from a, supposedly, from some monastery and uh, you know, change the things you can and fuck off everything off that you can't do anything about, that kind of thing, <laughs> from some uh, monk. Anyway, that would do it, and it did arrive in uh, Michael's fine hand in this huge parcel with every imaginable exotic delicacy and uh, sent from... Uh, he must have trucked it over to the Melbourne Post Office to do it. Um, about like $150 in postage or something. And back then, that meant something. Yeah, Quite absolutely. Big. And he'd gone to the trouble of... He followed the recipe for this thing perfectly. The scroll had dull top and bottom, of which he had to use a radial arm saw to cut deep but not too deep into it to, to place the, um, the saw blades in aluminium foil, which blocks the x-rays. Not that that really would have made a hell of a difference. You could barely see the teeth. Go and put gold-painted and lacquered knobs on the end of this thing. But here it is. This is a very important thing. I might cast out a couple of cartons of cigarettes to keep the guard on side as mm. he's poking through my stuff. Yeah. But I needed a guarantee that this parcel wouldn't be looked at too closely. What could I do? Any ideas there? <laughs> Listeners, you've got a parcel coming in. 
who have somebody listless but nonetheless thorough in their own ways because they've got their own loathsome trustees to do the poking and shoving and sniffing. You want to make sure all stops suddenly and no interest is taken in your parcel. What uh, do you put in there? You've got to put something in there. That's going to stop there. them in their tracks. Yeah. Okay. You heard him. What would you do? How would you ensure that guard looks no further? What would you place in that box that he will see as soon as he opens it that will make him stop his search? Time's up. Okay. <laughs> I'd make a terrible Didn't criminal. <laughs> oh, I'm sure if you're in there with me, Dan, yeah. you're, uh, you'd improve in remarkable time, especially when death penalty was yeah. rumoured. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, I said to Michael, listen, go out, find for expensive, glossy, high-quality colour-printed filthy pornography of the most extreme kind you could possibly, things that you wouldn't want to give your sick half-cousin in Detroit. Put it in there. And on the top, by the way. This guard was, I mean, he was trying to be like, uh, do me a favor. He just was not going to, no. And the next one underneath would be even worse. Uh, and the, and the, these trustees, I'll, I'll get rid of it, boss. No, fuck off, you will. I put it very carefully under his chair. Huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah, just take your stuff and get out of here. Get, 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 get. Yeah, right. Sorry about that. I, I just, it's my cousin. He's an idiot. He, he sent me off to the As mentioned previously, David had to get himself into a quieter cell. Most of these cells would usually hold around 14 men, which was just far too many people. One or more would certainly sound the alarm. Luckily, though, David had essentially managed to buy himself a much quieter room with just a few cellmates. Who was in the cell, uh, my manservant, Jet, so named because Jet being seven, he was the seventh child. Tiny little guy, trying to rub a butt. Ha! The passengers carried him out, <laughs> laughing. That must have been an embarrassment. Took his guns off him straight away. Ah! Laughed at the size of them. <laughs> Big gun, little boy. <laughs> anyway, his story was shameful enough. But he found his calling as my uh, head butler. And I had in my section, which was the art studio, um, where they sold shell paintings, uh, exorbitant prices outside. And... The chief guard of the art section was a notorious drunk. Uh, you know, he'd prop uh, him up in his chair every day. Uh, and the only thing he'd sober up enough to was send out my mail, which he very diligently did, because it, I had to time it sort of on his lunch break, so it was between hangover and, and imbibing again. So it, it was quite a nice little place, and, and Jet had, I think we had a carpenter, we had a couple of... Uh, French Reginol, who was the chef. Uh, we had a, we didn't burn charcoal. Oh, that was for commoners. We had our own uh, electric ring. Uh, the boys who collected the ice, the ones who fetched my water for my little splash upstairs. I wasn't going to shower with the commoners. Yeah, I had to, you know, a life that they would never think that I'd want to walk away from. They let me run around inside the building. I, I even tried to copy the keys at, at one stage make one out of resin and chips of metal, it, it doesn't work. No, no, no. You'd be surprised how much uh, torsion strength you need in the twist of a key in an old lock or even a new yeah, one, yeah. but a heavy lock nonetheless. Oh, 
We could speak ages on that and quite profitably too. <laughs> but no, the keys were up. So, and there was quite a little family there. Ed Butler was in the cell, Kevin from Hawaii, and of course, Stan from Sweden and myself. The only oddball in there, and it was kind of, I had to take him here. I mean, at least he wasn't a kiddie fiddler or anything. It was a mirage from a respectable profession of a, a people smuggler. Oh, I know they've got a bad name these days. But he, uh, borders meant nothing to mirage. Oh, uh, passports meant an awful lot because I said to him once, oh, I mean, I used a few in my time. How often could you use these things? And, and what equipment did you have? Uh, a reading lamp. Hold it over and the, the, the plastic comes away and you change the picture. Oh, well, that wouldn't be a really great job. Oh, great job. Were they being paid money at the airport? They need a great job. The guy had a passport. I was doing them a favor by giving him some documentation. Oh, that's right. And mostly uh, Chinese who wanted to start a new life somewhere. But uh, for all his virtues, Mirage was an absolute miser and a complete coward. I, I had to remonstrate with him at one stage for trying to mistreat my cat. So he has his room of somewhat trusty cellmates, but he would only have the help of one of them, a Swede named Sten, who was initially supposed to go with him on the escape, but would back out after seeing what had happened to another group who had been caught escaping a separate prison. That night began about 12.15, turned the light off. Um, Hadn't told anybody. That's why I was still there to cut away at midnight. Sten was, didn't want to come anymore. I was going to get him a passport, all of that stuff. But he was one of those guys in prison, as they are, that are absolutely fine in a controlled environment where they've got to fight a very obvious opposition, as it were, completely lost in the real world. People said to me, watch out that guy. He stayed with somebody around town. I robbed them of everything in the house. I'm not asking, I'm not worried about my silverware, <laughs> my my dinnerware collection or my uh, Royal Dalton. He was going to come on the night, but these guys turned up from Chiang Mai who'd been in a little escape from a tin pot jail and got caught. Israelis they were, and uh, they had no plan B. And you know what the most important part of an escape is? Yes. Oh, I can, look, I can hear it down the line of, of the podcast listeners. They're saying, what you do when you get over the wall. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that's what they've all said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, True audience, you're very right. And our Israeli friends, uh, they may have been in the Israeli army prepared, but they were not prepared for a guest house in Chiang Mai where they'd done their ill-begotten dealings, but when they went back to him, all he did was leech them up with money and hand them over to the authorities when they finished. The guards didn't like the idea of them escaping and took such a dim view of it, they even had their picture on tuk-tuk drivers all around town with a reward offered. Police are not involved at this stage, or really, never. But, um, and didn't treat them too well when they got brought back in. I saw them down at the our building's coffee shop, as they like to call it, around the banyan tree, uh, telling people what had happened to them. And their legs were in heavy elephant chains, but all mangled and scarred and 
But imagine some angry kid in McDonald's scrunching up a bunch of drinking straws and throwing them on the ground. That's what their legs look like. So um, I, I had the task of trying to get, explain to my Swedish friend how this wasn't such a bad thing. So around the, <laughs> the little art shop, uh, my office, at lunchtime that day, uh, I said, uh, Stanley, well, hey, you've got to meet a couple of guys who just come in. This is where they are. But klutzes, and uh, they look a bit rough. I mean, that's uh, guys didn't like them getting out, and you know, you can imagine iron bars on their legs and all that threw rocks on them. Hell, <laughs> it was lucky one could get some water and feed the other, or they wouldn't be with us today. But glossing over that, no, we have a B plant, and we we have a place to go. We have plants. He just. That was it. He, he he bailed out of that. Yeah, he, right. he didn't want to come along. Before Plan B, it was time to put into action Plan A. At midnight, David got started on his escape, and instantly realizes. This is going to be harder than he thought. And it was all different than I expected. Two o'clock's come, and I'm still working away on one bar. It might be fine during the day when you can make a bit of noise, but it was like, I don't know what, the single stroke of that tungsten teeth across the ancient bar at after midnight when we first started was like some nightmare um, giant violinist scraping catgut across a raspy surface. It It really resonated in the wrong way. We had to slow down a bit. I uh, left him to it because I knew I'd need my energy later. One of the bars was cut through and Oh, at the first cut, it sprang away from the rest of itself. Like, it was under so much stress for 50 years, being as the building had collapsed, and this was going to be some job. About halfway through the other end of that bar, and it's coming up to 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, Let's go back to the next day. Uh, No, 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 no. Um, I knew. I looked at Mirage, and I thought, he will squeal his head off because he knows what happens to people in this game. He would mm. break a leg down there. And as for my head butler, well, of course, he was perfectly loyal, but he just couldn't. He'd be busting with pride, wouldn't he? And I'll tell you why I know he would have been like that, because just as I was a little later on when I'm getting ready to climb out this tiny opening that's been left there. I turned around and this, my uh, master butler over in the court, he's standing there in his Sunday go-to-meet-in best clothes, the ones he used for the occasional visit he got twice a year or something. Uh, he's got his little bits of letters and photographs wrapped up in uh, plastic and a rubber band, and, he, and and he's even got a little tissue poking out of his good T-shirt that's got a pocket in it and his good sandals on. I go with you. Yeah. Oh, good. Very inconspicuous. Uh, yeah, but it was touching to see him there, you know, in a, in a kind of way. It was one of the troops, head of his section, and he wasn't going to uh, see the chief go out without him being at his side and all of that kind of thing. No, no. I, I gave him money. I gave him my good watch. I said, look, uh, 
It was like that speech out of uh, Casablanca, where I'm going, kid, you don't want to go. And Sten managed to uh, climb up on the window there and grab this bar and wrench it up with a, his hands grasping this bar and pulling it up like it was strangling every everybody that had ever cast some slight on his perfidy. And I managed to squeeze through virtually naked with just the things I'd need. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. If you thought the only way to get a more defined job Line with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Finally, David was out, his face looking up into the night sky. An instant feeling comes across him that he is no longer one of them. He is no longer an inmate. In fact, he looks back into the cell he's just escaped from, looking at those men's faces, as if they're strangers. But of course, he's still an inmate, and there is still a long way to go, and time was running out before daylight. He uses the cell's bookshelf, which was just an old building plank, and pokes it out into the night sky. He would need to slide across this to get far enough out so as to avoid an extremely delicate and crumbling awning below. I couldn't even put a toe on that. It would have crumbled away and alerted the the loathsome trustees who slept in the second best cell in the building underneath. He slides down the army webbing to the ground below, flicks it clear of the plank. As Sten, the Swede, pulls it back into the room, he calls down to David, send me a postcard. None of the men in that room ever thought he would get very far. But off into the night he goes. He has a rough idea of where the guards were and had a few dummy runs as best he could. However, the trouble was, these had to be done previously during the day. The world is a much different place at night. 
And it was just as well that I insisted on going that night and got out at that time because everything was slower. I timed it during the day, but the footsteps you take are not as quick as during the day as you're walking through it. The sound everything makes, as I've said, is uh, there was some place that was meant to a factory I needed to visit. It had been repaired and I had to take one nail out. And that made a real protest at coming out of the plywood as I tore it out with some pincer pliers I'd stolen from somewhere. So off he goes. And as mentioned, Klong Prem Prison is a vast facility and there's more than just one wall on the outside to contend with. And all good prison escapes need a letter, and especially this one, because there's those internal walls, I knew not how many. Um, It was made out of um, long bamboo poles and picture frames. Sten had uh, pretended to take an interest in oil painting the last six months, and had made very solid picture frames, which when I got into the factory that had a, a reason too long to go into, to have long bamboo poles, I laid two of those down, put the picture frames in between them, used gaffer tape to tie it all up. That gave me two very long ladders, probably about, what, four, four and a half metres each, and kind of heavy with all those picture frames in it. I Mm. told him not to make them so heavy. I (laughs) I don't weigh much. (laughs) But anyway, there they were. I mean, I'd been running and doing all of that as as much as I could to build up some stamina. And I was stuck in the factory where the the poles came from and had to climb out into the auto shop and and then stop to have some water because it's dehydrating, then go up, then wait for a guard who's passing. He's walking past the kitchen area and suddenly freezes. A guard is up and moving around. He stays low and in the dark. So still, he can hear his own breath. Luckily, the guard's just grabbing some water and soon leaves the kitchen. After those few stops to pick up his previously hidden items, construct his ladder, it's time to move. And move he does, quietly through the dark and muddy prison. I only got to the first wall at about four o'clock in the morning and wasted time trying to hook the rolls of barbed wire down from that, anchor them to the ground. In the end, I kind of found a short way to get over this by taping up the two ladders into one very long one, carrying it in the middle, sliding it up the first wall, the first side of the wall I wanted to cross, climb up the top, use what weight I had, but leverage really, to walk along that ladder again and it would tip the other way. So you go into it on an angle, climb to the middle, the apex, walk down the ladder and it tilts back up onto the ground the other side. You you drag it off and carried it across in a loping stride that Michael at the pole vaulter had um, told me to use when carrying something long and floppy like that. Banged into a couple of things I didn't see in the night, including a big uh, wire mesh thing, got lost because... I wasn't facing the right direction I thought I was. And I'm seeing all new buildings and places and worrying about guards and things. By this point, he's exhausted. He felt like he had nothing left. But of course, he knew what would happen if he was caught. And it wasn't the death penalty that he feared. At this point, it was what the guards would do to him if they got hold of him. So he continues on when all of a sudden, he's spotted. 
But the smell triggered me as I walked past the AIDS ward where they were all dying horribly. Uh, that rotting flesh stays in the mind and stayed with me that night. And when I saw a little a moony face up at the bars there having a look, his bed must have been pushed over on the edge, I guess. Anybody else would have screamed the place down. Foreigner on the loose. Farang, he's past it. Pain so much, no interest in anything. No doubt his family income wiped out and by black market heroin in there just to keep him in his last weeks from screaming the place down. Yet again, he presses on. And finally, at around 4.30 in the morning, he finds himself at the outer wall with a new problem. Which was three times as high as the ones I'd been encountering. No way of teetering over that one. And I'm covered in mud because I have to climb under one of the barbed wire bits and running out of water. And I'd forgot about Mars Bar Creek. It was, well, not forgot about it. I tried to pretend it wasn't there. An inner moat that ran around inside the prison, full of turds, of course. That's where the name comes from, Mars Bar Creek. Mm. <laughs> Uh, and barbed so I can't put my long ladder over it because it hits the wall, goes clunk. I can't ignore the creek because the barbed wire will tangle up the ladder. The wet ladder weighs more than I do by this stage. How do I get it over there? Out of this narrow strip that runs around on the inside. Now, if I'd have been with anybody else, we would have had a long, stupid, pointless, fruitless discussion about yeah, that. Yeah. And probably many other things about being lost and where best to go and all the time clouding the only instincts that mean anything to surviving human beings which is a sense of smell really and a sense of pattern and movement and the sounds of the night and the things that are dangerous therein i suppose yeah all of those things would have pushed me and who i was with beyond into the start of a new day and and disaster so just as well the Swede did not join me, or anybody for that matter. So David is standing at the edge of this creek. Just across the creek is about a foot and a half of land before you hit this massive outer wall. He can't just wade through the creek because it's full of barbed wire. So how does he get himself across? How does he get his ladder across? Well, like every good storyteller, David says... You'll just have to read his book for that one. But he manages it and finally makes his way up the outer wall. Once with the ladder above there, at the top of it, I could see dawn was coming. There was a glow in the sky, somehow heartening but terrifying at the same time because I knew the shifts were coming. And there was um, electricity, of course, on on the top. Uh, only 240 volts, and it hadn't been arced up. According to my um, friend who was a bit of an engineer in there, we'd looked at it long and hard and uh, decided there weren't any transformers. You know, if you've got a, um, a fence to keep cattle, you have this sort of high amperage, low voltage thing. Here they had household voltage by the look of it, but it was just 240, so it... It's kind of manageable, <laughs> providing you don't sweat on it. And yeah, 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 yeah. So um, that's what you don't do at the top of that. <laughs> um, I'd never heard of anybody being up there at the time, or previously, so there was nothing, nothing to go on. But I knew where the insulators were, so if I needed a foothold, that's the only possible place. And I'd changed into my khaki long trousers, uh, 
prison inmates not allowed long trousers is a big thing in there. It's how you tell a prisoner from a non-prisoner. Right. And but I was sweating and everything was damp, so I could feel a little tingle coming through from the the current that was passing by. But I also knew enough not to overreact. Anyway, it's no choice. No choice of anything here. Nothing. Get it right or that's it. You're finished. So David gets himself over the wall and down the other side. He's so close to freedom, he can taste it. The biggest issue with the part of the wall that he found himself at was that in fact it was spitting distance from a little village, full of workers from the prison. And at the wrong time of the day as they're getting their shit together to get out and start taking bribes. (laughs) It's hard work. Wear them out. Get ready. So... I slid to that little footpath that goes around the the outside of the prison and I had one little last ace of the sleeve. One of the nominal jobs prisoners must work. I can't remember who did my work in which factory, but I knew it was the umbrella factory because I had taken the trouble to take a pop-up black umbrella. So David has his secret weapon, an umbrella that can give him some cover from the guards in the towers above, as well as anyone walking past him. The only issue being that you might actually draw more attention to yourself by walking around with an umbrella up at five o'clock in the morning when it's not raining. But, as if by some sort of divine miracle, the rain starts to fall. So, uh... Under the umbrella, like uh, Ripley getting off the alien spacecraft, I'm saying lucky, lucky, lucky to myself as I edge towards the front gate. Because I know where the front gate is, this uh, footbridge, or really where cars can drive over, bring in vans of prisoners and so on, and goods in and out. But I can't, that's too much, I can't go there. But there's a little one I noticed at the side where the shop traders go, and And I think there was a guard looking down on me because I poked out just to have a little bit of a look at the towers to see who was looking down. And they would have thought, because of the khaki trousers, that I was one of the guards sneaking in around the back way for late for work as usual. And besides, prisoners, uh, what they may do when escaping, one thing they don't worry about is inclement weather Uh, and Putting up, and putting work. an umbrella up, and in fact, I think I saw the um, one of the guards coming to work that had one of my ATM cards. So, <sighs> as I crossed out of the front section, in front of the prison is a big eight-lane highway with a large steel bridge going over the top of it, which David climbs. Once at the top, he takes one last look back at the prison behind him, a place he had spent over two years and witnessed countless atrocities, and realised. He'd made it. But of course, by this time, Thailand is starting to come alive. People are waking up and getting ready for a new day, including the prisoners and guards of the Bangkok Hilton. All I had to do now at that morning was somehow get a passport and get to the airport and get out of town before they all woke up. Well, I was going to say, because obviously how long have you got before they realise that you're not there? Yes, I'd, not long. And... Um, Oddly enough, uh, I, I did find out from somebody who stayed and was there, a Scottish guy, they didn't know where I was. 
And number one butler held out. He said, I don't know. He, he just, I haven't seen him this morning. I woke up and he was gone. Because when they opened my door and locked it, they don't look inside because it's, you know, the a type hands. So um, they were starting to get worried by about 11 o'clock. Somebody had even pointed at the people smuggler and ratted me out and said, look, he's cut the bars up there. I tried to stop him. Oh, but he beat me down. All of that. But they didn't believe it. They, yes, 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 all right. It didn't look very open. I can't see how it could have got through there. And they, they sent round people calling my name. It was Daniel Westlake at the time. I had an Australian passport in that night. And uh, somebody said it was like looking for a lost sheep. Daniel, where are you? You can come out. We won't hit you. Don't worry. I had an address and um, a place where supposedly uh, a passport was waiting for me. My uh, Chinese friends, well, actually one I'd met in prison, I'd given him a photograph and I didn't have a really good one and it, took, it came off my radio operator's license. Uh, so it had to be enlarged and changed and everything like that. And it had to go into a passport that was freshly stolen because it should belong to a tourist who'd just come in and hadn't overstayed his visa and all this stuff with mm. the stamps and the stickers and the little form stuck into it. So um, it was supposed to be um, in some guy's apartment in the toilet there behind a mirror of the toilet cubicle. Um, <clears throat> I'm getting there and I've got the key to it, which has been sandwiched in a, a little wooden handle so that if I was caught and there was no key, because if they found a key, they'd want to know who it is. Maybe they torture me. I don't know what. I've got to the apartment. I got in there and I'm in the toilet feeling around. I'm thinking, what are the odds? You had some guy in jail for crying out loud and they given this photograph and he's going to get you a passport. And so I was really relieved to find the thing in there. Uh, I wasn't too thrilled to bits when I took a look at it. It wasn't the best work of art I've ever seen. So with his pretty rough fake passport in hand, he jumped in a cab and headed for the airport. He arrives at the long-term luggage store where a friend had left a bag for him containing some clothes and, more importantly, a couple of ATM cards. One of the cards, however, wasn't working, so this would leave David with just $500 in which to be able to travel. Furthest away he can get is Singapore. Although not in his plan, that is where he's headed. He lands in Singapore, checks himself into a hotel and heads straight for the rooftop pool, where he dives straight in. He might be free, but not for the first time in his life, he's wanted. And he knew it wouldn't take much for the authorities to begin tracking him down. I found myself in a, in a hotel room in Singapore, working out how it would be that um, the authorities could trace me to Singapore, which is, um, I think they could, if the authorities had simply figured that I'd left the country, gone down, got the, all the passenger lists, figured that if I was in a false document, it would be, what, 
Uh, American, Canadian, British, I mean, quite a few to choose from New Zealand, maybe even South African, and compare that passenger manifest with any reported lost or stolen passports. We were speaking about being wanted and what's that like. Well, people often overthink the idea of going through an airport computer because um, the document they might have is been reported lost or stolen, but really they don't hold that information. That's in the back room. The, the front room is the Interpol watch list. By this method, they, um, they could really identify me and probably several others who were traveling on assumed names that day. So I knew I had to get out of uh, Singapore fairly quickly and I sent for another passport. Getting this new fake passport took a little while as his friends had been, at this point, scammed so many times from people either saying they were him or that they were breaking him out and just needing 10000 here or 5000 there. And so to begin with, they weren't convinced it was actually him. However, once that hurdle was overcome, they sprang into action and a new passport and new ATM cards arrived. And again, it's time to leave. And you travelled... Uh, if you went to a dinky enough travel agency, you'd end up with a handwritten ticket. Uh, the agencies could um, write them out by hand and then take all their slips to a consolidator. It was a very old-fashioned system. It was glorious, really, because there were so many mix-ups writing out those tickets, <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. Names would get backwards and forwards. But in due course, I found myself in Baluchistan, in the eastern, uh, western provinces of Pakistan, uh, where my old friend, uh, tribal lord chief Norjon Magsi, whom I'd met back in the days of first crossing into Afghanistan, it was the right place to be because um, nobody could find me there. And, and if they did, <laughs> no good would come of that for them if they had. The, the desert holds a lot of secrets. So were you still playing around in the in the world of the, shall we say, uh, well, not legal? Yeah, uh, smuggling not at first, but I found I had limited resources. Um, I went back into it really because um, I used every scrap of everything to stay alive and get out of Thailand. I owed a few people some favours. Oh, they weren't being demanding. No, nothing. They'd been probably happy if I never did anything ever again, but just wanted safety and a, and a little place to hide out of a few hundred thousand, maybe half a million or something. Modest, humble, you know. In fact, he would again be arrested in another country and again face a death penalty. But that's a story for another time. David would do a few more stints behind bars in various countries around the world before retiring from the life in 2016. He decided it was far easier to write about crime instead of committing it. He, in fact, wrote a couple of books, one about his escape from Klong Prem Prison, titled Escape the true story of the only Westerner ever to escape Thailand's Bangkok Hilton. The link to which is in the show notes of this episode. David spent his life on the run, running from authorities and always trying to stay one step ahead of them. 
trying to study their tactics and just how they operated. But what if you knew how they worked? What if you knew every inch of how they tracked people? Because at one point in time, you were one of them. So my recruiter said, you can tell that you're in the process of being recruited by this organisation to your husband, partner, or your best friend, or very close family members. But I, all I could say was, this is the organisation that I'm talking to, but I can't say anything more. Annie Macron worked as an intelligence officer for one of the world's most famous government spy agencies on the planet, MI5. That was until the day she went on the run. My family, my mother and my father, certainly knew something was up because I wouldn't talk about those things on the phone because yeah. I was worried about the communications. And there were certain indications as well that they might be onto us. Next time on Wanted. I'm a wanderer of the soul Before the end I plan to behold But I know I'll lose myself along the way What's gone is gone What's past is past Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.